Hello and welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. Um, I'm Ed and I'm here today with Paul. Hello. With Claire. Hi. With Nick. Hi, yeah. And with Emily. Hi. And today we are on part two of our series on Bible verses that change me and Bible verses that challenge me. And we are focusing on <laughs> Bible verses that challenge me in this episode. Um, and yeah, for the for these two podcasts especially, but um, for, for for all the podcasts that we do, it would be great to hear your thoughts on the on what we discuss in these um, in these conversations. So uh, if that's something you want to get involved with, then go to the um, some sort of miracle listener group on Facebook, um, and that's a place where we can discuss things. Uh, you can engage, ask questions, um, and post some interesting answers, and you know have a discussion, have a debate with us and other listeners. Absolutely, thanks, Paul. And. Um, yeah, so today we are talking about Bible verses that challenged me. And this kind of was born out of, uh, we spoke about the Bible a few weeks ago on the podcast. And in that episode, we were just kind of chatting through how there are so many parts that are really hard to wrestle with. And um, we kind of came up with this idea of doing an episode just devoted to bringing up some of these parts of the Bible and saying, okay, these are some really hard ones. Let's have a crack at it. And then realize quite quickly i imagine that we're not going to get all the answers <laughs> we're not going to figure it all out but actually perhaps that's okay perhaps we're not meant to have all the answers in the first place um so yeah we we hope that this is helpful we hope that you know you uh kind of hear some of our confusion and identify with it or perhaps you've got all the answers and like paul said we'd love to hear them if you do in the listener group So we're going to head over for the first Bible verse to Nick. Yeah, my the verse that I find particularly challenging is in Leviticus 19, um, verse 28. So that says, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. So basically, it seems to be forbidding piercings and tattoos, um, of which I have several of both. So I find that difficult. Am I going to hell? Okay, yeah. It seems harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> You're not supposed to give away that I just nodded and shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> so did, was that kind of going through your head a lot when you started, you know, getting tattoos and piercings? Or is that something you've discovered afterwards and thought, oh, no, I've made a mistake? <laughs> you can scrub it all off again. Um I knew it was there, so it is with full knowledge, to be honest. So um, I guess that probably tells you on, on which side I've fallen uh, in in debating that. Um, but for context, I mean, if you if you've got thirty seconds, I'd just like to share some other things that are also in Leviticus nineteen that are forbidden. Um, I'll I'll just pick a few out because there's quite a lot. Um, some of which make sense, like stealing, lying. Yep, yeah, fair enough. Swearing falsely on God's name, yet yeah. defrauding your neighbour, get on board with that, yeah. Um, perverting the course of justice seems to make sense. And then mixing fabrics and clothing, not sure about that, that seems all right to me. Um, eating fruit from a tree within four years of planting it, again, I can't, couldn't tell you where the last, where my last set of bananas or apples came from, so I, I can't tell you that. Trimming your beard, so, I mean, I haven't shaved this morning, but. I've done that several times in my life. Cutting your hair at the sides, also done that quite a few times. Um, yeah, that's just a selection. There's, there's quite a few. Some seem to make sense. 
and some don't. And I think that's probably where the tension is. Um, which ones do you, can you pick and choose? Um, and I'd like to think common sense would prevail. However, I've been wrong before. So no, you just you are just a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Paul. That's all right, mate. If it's a tick um, box situation, Nick. Then it's not looking good, my friend. Yeah, bad. It's bad news. <laughs> Um, I think we're probably going to say this a few times during this, uh, but I think context is quite important in those. Um, and I do have a one explanation for one of the rules that you mentioned, and that was Ooh. the mixing the cotton, uh, mixing the different fabrics in clothing. Um, and my understanding of that context is that in the culture it was written in, um, the only fab, the only time fabric was mixed, or co- is it cotton is mixed with another type of fabric i think it is i think you just said yeah mixing fabrics in clothing um is for the outfit that the priest would wear for the holy ceremonies um and it was kind of a commentary on keeping um making sure to keep yourself holy and to to make time for god essentially um to make to make god special in in the in whatever ways you could um, so that that particular rule, it doesn't say that, but now looking back culturally, we can see that that's kind of the case, even though it doesn't say that specifically in in that text. I think so I the think huge are... irony for me there is that one of my, my first tattoo was this four five eight. This numbers here, and that is take time to be holy. So it's basically exactly what you just said, but in a tattoo. So, <laughs> so I guess that's. Um, and it's all like religious imagery on like on the on the sleeves. So it's all linked to to my faith and how, how what i believe to be true within that so um yeah th- there's a quite a lot of tension w- with some of the old testament if you read it as um as literal which i know some denominations do i think it causes quite a lot of headaches particularly old testament verses how many piercings and yeah. tattoos have you got ed um Oh, current count as as of today, um, <laughs> it's none. But <laughs> this time, yeah, check back in a year and we'll we'll see. Haven't we'll you see. only been doing that so you can hold something over Nick, though? That's it. Yeah, it's just to play the. Well, Leviticus <laughs> says this card. Um, yeah, and I, I be honest, it, this is the reason I brought it up is because Ed's just been pointing a finger at me and saying, yeah. Sinner, yeah, <laughs> it's been ringing a bell and saying shame. Been following them around, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a really interesting one though, isn't it? Because you know, people. I remember being at being at school and just being clobbered by kind of uh, other kids who had read that the Bible says this in Leviticus or says that, or it says that Christians can't do this or people shouldn't be doing that, and just it's just it feels just crazy, doesn't it? Like. It's just this random list of stuff that maybe had a good contextual reason back then, but today it just feels bizarre. And you know, we spoke about this in in the sin episode, didn't we? And we spoke about well, I I, I certainly expressed that I I don't believe that God just has this random list of things that are sinful and things that are okay, and they are just have no impact on. Uh, they are just set in stone, and that is just the way it is. I think for for me. If something is sinful, that is taking us away from God's intended plan for the world and for mm. creation. And, you know, I, I think that those things that are truly sinful have, have like have clear 
consequences on the world and they hurt people and they hurt us so actually we can we can examine these these things by saying what what are the consequences of this action what are the consequences of you getting a tattoo if that lived out means that you are drawn closer to your faith and you're reminded of who you are in Jesus how can that be sinful and I think you kind of got to reverse engineer things like this and look at what is the outcome of this action if it's good and if it leads towards God is it a sin? I mean, I know the Bible in Leviticus is saying it is, but yeah, I, I, I think maybe looking at, you know, today's context, looking at how that's lived out for people, perhaps it's not. I think that's it's interesting to use the word clobber there. Like a, you see that like clobber versus, yep. like you see them quite a bit used and just talking about. And, and as you say, when you're at school and perhaps you don't have a handle on mm. what the Old Testament really means in the context of the New Testament and our you know, like the the bigger picture of theology, it becomes quite difficult to explain that. And yeah. and even you know, up until very recently, like getting your head around, you know, what what is it that the new the Old Testament is saying, and and how is it saying it, and what does that mean within the context of the New Testament and faith now? That's the lens for me to view things with. But whereas before, I think I would just take things as read and see, oh, do you know what that that says? This what what how can it mean any different? Um, but as you say, when you apply context to it, it becomes quite important as well as as perhaps some some of the Bible is written for a certain group of people at a certain time. And there's other, I mean, there's other things like if you look at some of the wording in Leviticus, I think the same words using for eating selfish, uh, sorry, for eating shellfish, as it is um, about sleeping with people of the same sex. So that's the same, like the same word that abomination, like, so how do we view that? within the old testament and new testament it, be, it become it can become very uh problematic you can get tied up in it but i think what you said ed is, is absolutely spot on like you know that does it take me further away or closer towards god and and that's that's the dividing line isn't it for me certainly there's um, a guy, A.J. Jacobs, who wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically. And for a year, he tried to live his lifestyle following as many rules and guidelines in the Bible as he could find. And one of the things he said, he said, is in trying to avoid one sin, I've committed another. So within, within scripture, the, some of the things that we take literally, and it could be a contextual thing, an interpretation thing. Actually, I guess it's hot episodes about this, thinking about some of the things that might contradict each other that we find within scripture and how we do that, particularly some of those Levitical mm -hmm. laws. Yeah, I think it's, it's easy to look at these laws and think actually they're, they're kind of trifling little things that we can just let go of. But actually, they're, they're not in, big, in quite a number of cases. These are things that cause huge issues for people who are, who, you know, look to the Bible for their advice uh, and for for you know their spiritual guidance and it it it's so dangerous if we just say you know look at the bible and then you know you got to do everything that's in it because like you said claire you people will tie themselves in knots and then just i guess i think christianity is far too guilty of layering guilt and shame on people for no good reason and yeah. Um, yeah and i've been thinking about uh, in terms of obviously the Levitical laws were written for a certain time we could stay a certain time at a certain place and at the moment with the whole Covid restrictions yeah. the rules about staying three metres apart and wearing face masks and all of that we hope that in a few years time those rules will seem ridiculous yeah. maybe 
And in terms of the context in which it's written, how do we work out what is for that time and what is for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years later? And I guess that a becomes really a challenge. Point. It's reminded me a little bit of that quote by C.S. Lewis that you might have heard, um, where he said, it's Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts can be taken mm. for use as weapons. I think that's part of the problem with some of the things in Leviticus that you've mentioned is that sort of the Christian faith has taken those things as uh, weaponry, haven't they? And uh, beaten each other over the head with it. Um, but I really like that. It it says, he sort of goes on to say somewhere that um, the Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will lead us to Christ. And I think that's the the crux of it really yeah i think i think with that comes a responsibility though i think of of it explaining that and debating that with uh with other christians but also with people who are christians having that conversation of yeah i know the bible says this but it's it's a very complicated conversation to have isn't it to say i know the bible says this but perhaps it's leading off in this direction and it's in the bigger picture of x y and z that's quite difficult to uh explain that but but I don't think we should shy away from it because, as you say, like if not, you can just you can weaponize anything. Is it Steve Chart that said um, a text without context is a pretext? And that's a really nice way of putting it. Of you can just pull it out and load it up and just launch it at someone, whether that be to excuse terrible behaviour or to justify um, atrocities. You can do it with the Bible. You can justify slavery using the Bible if if you really wanted to. Um, but we know that with the overarching message of love and hope and peace that's in the Bible. That's not what it's saying. I think that you can use Christ as the measuring stick for a lot of the rules that are, especially some of those Old Testament ones. If, if it doesn't measure up to the way that Christ lived, then there's clearly something that's not quite sort of balanced with, with what, how we're reading into something. Yeah, so a good point was, so I've heard so many people talk about how we need to view the whole of the Bible through the lens of Christ because Christ is our clearest example of who God is and that makes sense of so much so yeah I think you're absolutely right that Jesus is the measuring stick for us we are followers of Christ aren't we primarily and uh, we've spoken before about well I, I remember in the in the Bible episode um, when we spoke about the phrase Bible believing Christians and mentioned that you know I, 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 I'm a follower of Christ and the Bible helps me do that but I don't worship the Bible and I, I think, yeah, the, these sort of verses are a good reminder of why that's the, that way around. <laughs> but suddenly, if you worship the wrong thing, then you get focused on the wrong thing, don't you? And yeah, let's let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on what He's calling us into. Uh, next is Emily. Yeah. Okay. Um, so mine is uh, taken from Romans 13. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it because I don't know what to say about it. But it says, um, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. I mean, it goes on, but I'm going to, I think that's probably enough for us to get our heads around, really. That's a problem for me. 
Yeah. It's a big yeah. one for me. Yeah. If the listener could see us right now, we've all got heads in hands, shaking our heads. <laughs> Just... I think where I've seen this to be particularly problematic as well is where I have actually seen Christians use mm. this as kind of argument for policies that could be considered inhumane as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and I think, you know, when you look at, when you look at history in the light of day, most forward-thinking, inclusive, diverse um, changes that we've seen through societies over history have actually been because of some kind of rebellion against government and some kind of rebellion against uh, legislation. So, yeah, I, I really struggle with that because I think that a lot of the changes that we've seen um, sort of in, in like, the black movement in the lgbtq movement all of those things um you know arguably you could say are for a better um humanity and that surely are the heart of god yeah um so yeah that's all I've got to say about it. Yeah. If anyone can help me, please. And, and also littered throughout the whole Bible are stories of the oppressed being liberated for, by, from empire and by those that are oppressing yeah. them. That is like one of the most central parts of the Bible. And it's what, one of the things that makes the Bible so amazing is that we get the stories of those that have been oppressed and have been put down. And very, in few, very few other places in, histor- in, like, in history do we see those stories being told. And that, yeah, that's one of the the most amazing things about the Bible. So that just feels bizarre, doesn't it, that that's in there? And I don't know if there's like a contextual thing that I'm missing in this. There may well be. And I think potentially like that's for my own thing to go back and look at and think, actually, why was he saying what was the what was the particular government at that time saying that in his letter he was saying you should submit to this government? but so maybe there is like a contextual thing that I'm missing and I'm not learned enough but what I like what I said that I have is the problem with is that I know that there are Christians all over the world that use this as that weapon Mm. which we've just spoken Mm. about I can't say too much because I'll just get political I think and I'm probably a little bit sweary so (laughs) I'm just gonna sit back and say Fair enough. <laughs> and Jesus himself came and challenged the authorities, didn't he? Yeah, 100%. And so that's why it's almost really bewildering that you then also find this in the New Testament. He spent like 90% of his time digging out Pharisees, and he? Like that, was, that was his gig. Yeah. <laughs> Where did yeah. you say that was in? What? Which book again? Uh, so this is Paul. The... Did he write this while yeah. he was in prison or, or not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling a hypocrite. Um, yeah. <laughs> it says, going further on, just looking here, for the one in for the one in authority is God's servant for your good, which is a very bold statement to make. <laughs> Unless, as you say, Emily, there's some context where there were amazing people in authority at that time. But I don't believe that to be true. You can't you can't apply it to yeah. Hitler, can you? Do you know what no, you like? I think the thing is as well like I think when when I've grappled with this before I've had that that um I want to say it's taken from oh no I can't remember I'm going to quote the bible and not know where it's from but you know when it talks about Jesus and the government being on his shoulder 
Um, and so I've all like because we but we have faith in the universal Christ and we know that authority, the human authority rises and falls, doesn't it? And so I think that when we know a place in our faith in the universal Christ, you can kind of think you can kind of try and consolidate what you think and feel in placing, you know, for example, when people have been elected that I didn't vote for, I've been like faith is ultimately in Christ and that hasn't changed um but it still doesn't mean that I want to just <laughs> I don't it's too hard it's too hard so just so we all seem to just say we, we we can't really get on board with that how comfortable are people are just saying they're willing to just go all right then I'm not gonna let that be central to my faith I'm gonna in essence ignore it where do we stand on that with because it's in the bible like some christians would really criticize us for that the digital age has changed this massively hasn't it it's changed at what we just accept to be true to be true and i think it's after i suppose i'm just thinking it's worth remembering that in lots of cultures a significant position of authority and power really is revered in a lot of those cultures lots of people actually yeah. I'm sort of, as I'm thinking about it, that the freedom to question, the freedom to lobby and the freedom to protest is actually a privilege in itself. And so I suppose there is like, there are cultural differences in the way that people would just accept and submit to that. And I think it's a generational thing as well, isn't it? I think perhaps as generations have moved on in terms of what goes on and what we will but by sheer definition now, often what people say in authority is taken as untruth before it's taken as truth sometimes. We question whether we question it straight away without thinking I, it might be true. I'd be really uncomfortable with just saying, yeah, yeah that's wrong. Personally, there must I, I feel like there must be a contextual meaning at least that. Yeah, I think that's where I go when something's very difficult to understand. I really don't like discounting something, yeah. but I also it's it's difficult to just say I disagree with this. So let's find a context <laughs> in which I'm right. And I think it's quite easy to do when it's something that we all clearly disagree with in 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 a a practical just as it's read way. It's a lot easier to just go, oh yeah, well we'll just find something that sort of puts it into context that that uh, supports my point, and then we'll carry on as if nothing happened. I don't think that's a massive amount better. And it's really hard to find the line between what's real and what fits in with what I want to, because I'm being lazy. At this lot, at the moment, I don't, I don't trust a word they say. If we're going to be political, like honestly, the, the amount of stuff that's been slung backwards and forwards. I, I, if if Boris Johnson told me to rain outside, I'd go and check myself. Like I, honestly, I don't. And that's I don't avoid being political, but you haven't succeeded if but, that was the plan. <laughs> no, no, but then, but that that <laughs> that always causes me a problem because if you look at when the Bible was written, so if you're looking at this, like this foundation of democracy, it's oh, going to get dates wrong. It's around about like 500 BC. So you're looking at like the early-ish, I know 500 years is a long time, but early-ish stage of democracy. Whereas now, like everything is kind of built upon particularly where in the western world is built upon democracy so that should be more true now than it was then um because we vote we voted for it like us collective society we've voted for it so like 
you'd, <laughs> you'd hope that 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 would be more true now than it was when it was written. But I I find it's probably less true now because there's a mistrust of the or an abuse of power in some instances. Um, so it's a real conundrum that, like historically as well as contextually as well as everything politically, and it's a whole storm of in, in the interest of being an absolute hypocrite i've um just googled <laughs> the text and um context to it um just to see what just to see what comes up really as is my norm when i'm googling i haven't had the opportunity to google definitions so i've, I've missed out in this uh <laughs> this two-part series um but the first sort of website and there is no backing for this that i that i know of it might be absolute rubbish but it kind of it makes me comfortable with it but I'm, i've previously said that that's probably not the best thing to just stick out and run away from but um it this this article supposes that um paul is writing to um the jews and gentiles that had converted to christianity but were leaving the synagogues because they thought it was sort of because because paul was very much a a jewish man who believed in jesus as well as god and still kept his Jewish traditions while sort of he, he was a, a follower follower of the way, but he was a, a Jewish, a Jewish man who kept his traditions and he didn't want, uh, he didn't want people to leave the synagogues and leave the established religion to, to go and do something without everyone else. Um, and they're kind of saying that this is a warning from him to people sort of going and trying to do it by themselves when there's already an established kind of support network there. Um, which which does make sense, but I don't know if it makes sense because I'd like it to make sense or not. And that's when this kind of thing becomes tricky without going and learning Greek and doing yeah. a degree in sort of classics. And that, that, that just raises more questions in, because then, you know, if that is true and we accept that as true, how much of Paul's letters did he not intend to be universally applicable? And how much did he just intend to be for a specific person or group? Well, of I mean, people? they were written for those people. And then, yeah, and then exactly. but then and you're right. It does just pull everything into, yeah. into different contexts, but I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Paul, if you wouldn't mind going away and learning the Greek though, that would be really helpful for the next podcast. Yeah. I really, I'm yeah, glad so you didn't Paul's stop that. that. If you wouldn't mind going away, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless that's what you're hinting. But at. if you don't learn Greek, you do have to uh, go right, away. Okay. I think is what she, where she was going. <laughs> much. You can just Google how to learn Greek. It's worked. It's worked for everything else so far. It does. It does. Generally, I, I do quite well out of just googling things. My my question kind of flows on from uh, the law, and kind of disagrees with with the question we just had. But I'm gonna shuffle over that for for now. Um, I took challenge a little bit differently, and something that I, is, is challenging for me rather than challenging sort of as a principle. Um, but uh, my verse is from Matthew five, um, it's verse verse forty three and forty four. Um, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Um, and it's it's something that gets said quite a lot. Um, and it's not something that's sort of out there, really. I think everyone would agree 
that that's what we should be doing, but that's not as easy as it is to say. Um, not to just love everyone, like to specifically love your enemies, love the people who will persecute you. Um, and and kind of my, my thinking is how how do we do that? How do we show that? And how do we? It's not just stay away. It's not um, avoid or kind of shut down and and don't respond to the people who persecute you. Like love like actively. I like that it, it goes on to say. And and this is like where the personal challenge for me is that um, it says that it causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and uh, and rain for the righteous and unrighteous. I think I'm just paraphrasing, but um, so that for me then it's kind of pointing a finger saying just just be careful because the our enemies probably the enemy to you and there's probably things that you've done that are damaging as well. So there's a little bit of a a personal challenge for me there as, as as far as yeah it kind of reins me in as it's all right to point a finger and say well i hate you because this one and the other because there'll be other people who point at me and, and hate me for the things that i've done too um so that that really helps me to balance that I, I don't know if that's helpful or not but that's that's kind of where the context that i look at that within i don't know if that's different to you paul or whether that's kind of where you came from as well or Um, I think my, mine was kind of a two-part and I thought we've got time for this because I'm going for it from the start. Um, but um, there was the, the specific challenge of, hate, of, of loving, loving your enemies, loving those people that hate you um, and how, how we live that out um, and, and kind of be, being active in, in doing that. Um, and also the bit that says love your enemies as though we, we should have enemies. Um, it, it raises a strange little sort of context inside that that I didn't think we were meant to have enemies and that's kind of the point maybe that is the point of the verse but um, in terms of a challenging bible verse it's a bit strange that we're expected to have enemies how do you still your enemies if you love them I don't know I, I think for us it's, that's really different isn't it because we don't have a, another group of people that are waiting to go to war with us <laughs> Um, on, on the whole, well, you know, I, I may be eating my words, but uh, in a few years, but hopefully not. Um, so, yeah, I think for, for in that context and for the Jewish people over, you know, the Old Testament, they had enemies and those were just realities. That was just what life was like, because, you know, they could start loving those people. They were still going to be their enemies because they wanted them dead. <laughs> like, um and or they they wanted their land or they wanted to enslave them more often than not so i i guess that that thing of those that persecute you those that want bad things for you or, or don't want you well that there are those people in life i guess they, they i guess the question of how we view them i'm not sure that's what it's talking about although i i do think perhaps we shouldn't be trying to go out of our way to view people as enemies <laughs> um yeah but it's so countercultural, isn't it? And it's so hard to actually live out loving those that would wish us ill or would, um, you know, backstab us or, d yeah, do do bad things to us. It's not what the world wants us to believe. And I always think, how how amazing would that be if we actually saw governments acting like that? Not just the individuals, but countries loving those their enemies. That that is where you start really seeing how radical Jesus' message is when you. What does that look like if you take it away from just me as me, which it is very much important, 
but and expand it out to nations and to governments and companies these days. And I think because of the way that we've seen our country divided over politics as well, it's about it's loving the person that voted differently as well, isn't it? I mean, we mm. don't we don't brand them as enemies anymore. I don't think because I think the the phrase of enemy is a bit old hat. Um, but yeah, definitely like finding a way to love that person that fundamentally has a completely different worldview to you. It's so tribal at the moment as well, isn't it? Like life just seems to be more and more like polarized, and it, it, it's almost like we've lost the the art of objectivity. Like it, I always like to, particularly, and I mentioned about governments and policies. If you if you just read a policy, and think, yeah, well, I, I can I can get on board with that. That that makes sense to me. And if someone says, "Well, that's that's the Green Party," like, "Oh no, it's rubbish." Then so it's like it's not. It's trying to take that out and just seeing what's true and what's good and what's what's showing love to other people is just that. That's what it is, and it doesn't matter who's saying it. And taking our scarves off for a moment and saying what we want is, you know, the message of Jesus lived out. Whoever whoever it is who's doing that, whether that's you know whether they've got a blue or a green or a red scarf on or whether they support whatever ideas but that, that becomes really difficult as you say Emily because I think that we've become so split off and and we almost double down on ideas now that even if we know it's a bad thing we said it was a good thing once so we have to kind of see it through that humility to say you know maybe not or maybe I got it wrong or maybe I was misled um seems to be slipping away so I, I think that's that's the revolution isn't it that's the whole the crux of it like he's, he's being able to that's why as you said it's so countercultural, and it's becoming further and further away from culture which become, makes it more and more radical which I think that's exciting but it's also brings its challenges as well. It's drawn me to a passage in uh, Romans 12 which quotes from Proverbs which says if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head so you kind of think Initially, it's like loving him in traditional ways we would think to love someone. But then it says that in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So what are we aiming to achieve through loving our enemy? It's almost like one-upmanship, isn't it? Like, <laughs> that's what that sounds like. If you love them in that way, you're the winner, really. You've got the moral high ground. I don't know if I totally agree with that. But I do think you've hit that does hit on the nail on the head in terms of the love being the active verb rather than the feeling and emotion and I think that the thing that the gospel has taught me is that to love is to act and it's actually an, it's a behavior of the it's an action of the will not of the emotion um, and so I think God looks at our our will to love the neighbor um, our will to to you know do something for them to pray for them to serve them and the more that we do that in my experience the actual emotion of starting to <laughs> see them differently will follow um but it's that acting in love first um which i don't think the world does we're such feelings led world aren't we i think or certainly i would say younger generations are very feelings led it's all very much this is what i feel i feel this so it must be bad or i feel this so it must be good instead of being able to separate mind from matter i think one of my sort of verses that I didn't use for, for these two podcasts that we've recorded. Um, and this fits into both the 
um, challenging to do and the ones that sort of I, I really like and that have changed the way I, I look at things is James one twenty two that says, prove yourself doers of the word and not merely listeners of the word. Um, which is a, a real challenge to, to do rather than just, I, I say, I, I appreciate there's an extra irony in us having a conversation about it. Um, but I think it's important to be doing while while listening and taking in and learning. That um, thing about loving your enemies reminded me of, um, I haven't qu quoted Rob Bell yet this or the previous episode, so I'm going to do that now just to prepare you all. Um, <laughs> he's, he speaks about cycles or, or the myth of redemptive violence. He talks about it and uh, lots of other people talk about, talk about similar things. And it's this idea that the world has got this central lie that it believes, which is that if you are wronged, you need to the justice of that is to wrong them back is to get them back and get your revenge and that is just a cycle that the whole world is caught in and it has been caught in like for for thousands of years and actually one of the one of the main things that or that Rob Bell argues that Jesus did is to come and point out the flaw in that and to point the way out of it and he talks about the third way of non-violence of escaping this rhythm this cycle of just getting petty revenge over and over again and this loving your enemies is just so central to that where you can say okay i've been wronged this person has set themselves up to be my enemy and i'm going to choose to not get revenge but to love them back and actually that breaks this cycle and yeah we see that lived out in the most amazing way through jesus on the cross where he is being wronged and he chooses to not get them back, to not fight back, to not scapegoat others, but to, um, but to, yeah, take this third way of non-violence, and yeah, I, I think it's, it's amazing, and it's one of the, one of the things that I, you know, I think Jesus, everyone should, you know, follow Jesus. <laughs> That's where I've got to on this because he's great, and you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> don't know how to fluff that up any better. I think if you read Jesus and see some of the things he's got to say they're worth listening to and they're worth following yeah it's quite a, a unique way of looking at that I, I guess you're kind of hinting on Girard yeah. and mimetic theory and things there which are definitely worth exploring as as ideas as, as a lens for theology because that's been really helpful for me as well I'd, just to, to break away from that cycle it gives you a new way of looking at things and it, a totally new way of looking at the bible yeah. as well like it, it kind of changes a lot yeah definitely I had a really profound quote from Stuart Little 2 film, which I watched yesterday. <laughs> and it was talking about giving up. And it's, I'm telling you, Stuart, if more people gave up, there'd be fewer wars. And thinking about how if someone gives up in that cycle of rebellion, that cycle of revenge, yeah. there would be fewer wars. Yeah. Obviously, the theologian Stuart That's, Little, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gerard, Rob Bell and Stuart Little they're the, the main ones aren't they <laughs> the big three <laughs> So yeah, uh, I'm next. And so in the previous episode, I, I shared uh, Romans 8, uh, kind of 31 to 39, but I just did the end of that because, uh, yeah, that was the bit that makes me feel all warm, fluffy and safe. And um, the, the start of it, I think, is what I'm going to share today uh, as something that I find really challenging. And a bit of a backstory, I grew up in the Salvation Army who, you know, believe that actually we, we all have 
free will. We all have the option to follow Jesus and anyone can do that. And at the start of this verse, it, it, I'll just read it out. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? And in another translation, it says, who dares accuse us whom God has elected as his own? And I think that idea of God choosing a group of people who will follow him. And, you know, a whole, a whole group of Christians believe this, that kind of Calvinist Christians believe that God has elected a, a certain group of people to follow him and to uh, become Christians and to eventually be saved and um, not everyone is elected and I find that a really difficult idea and this is one of the bits of scripture that backs that up because yeah, I find it hard to hold this and also hold a God who loves everyone equally and has created everyone and yeah I, I, for me those two things are just incompatible um, or at least they're they're incompatible at first but then I heard people talking about kind of universalism and the the idea that everyone gets saved, in which case that's kind of they're saying everyone is the elect chosen. It, so it, it makes sense in that in that way. But yeah, I, I get myself all wrapped up in different things on it. But yeah, so, certainly something that's challenged me. Does it take you back to PE days when people were picking teams and you were always like, I'm not. You're making assumptions you. here, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> they're very correct assumptions, I have to say, but. Just wondering whether this bit of scripture triggers a certain childhood memory for you, Ed, yeah. and that's why you with it personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just at that point. I'm at a point of hysteria with all these difficult Bible yeah. <laughs> But no, I do, but it is that thing, isn't it? Is that we do, no one wants to not be chosen. No one wants yeah. to in a situation of not being chosen that doesn't speak to inclu inclusivity does it at all no. um so that is that is difficult i'm not yeah I'm, calvinism predetermination like it goes against everything i believe to be true like i spoke in the, in the previous episode a couple of weeks ago about um that faith faithfulness of christ rather than faith in christ and then Calvinism just takes it another step further, doesn't it? And just saying that you don't really get a choice in it. It's um, it's all done for you. Some are going to be saved and, and go to heaven and some are going to be damned to hell. What, what on earth does that say about God? Um, that's not that's not the God that I know of and, and serve for certain. So I really struggle um, with that as well. But I, I think the way I would read it is, as you suggested, that... that there is an elect, but guess what? It's every single one of us, so we're all in. I remember I went to the uh, Christian Union house party at Union. This is the first time I'd heard about this concept, and I was shocked. I was like, this can't be true. <laughs> like, in terms of everything we believe in salvation, I mean, that whosoever will may be saved. And then to suddenly be told or taught or introduced to the idea that God may make some people just to condemn them to hell, I just couldn't. I couldn't deal with that concept but in terms of looking at it. It doesn't match up. It doesn't sound like any kind of house party that I've... Like raving all night. Wild. My uni experiences was very different. <laughs> I can't remember anything else of it, but that, that's for no other reason than I can't remember it. Yeah. <laughs> 
And we should probably preface this with, we are a bunch of people who've grown up in the Salvation Army, so that has shaped our theology. And we don't, I don't really know the other side of this. I, I, don't, I haven't heard a good defense of, of that sort of theology, but I have heard people point out numerous places in the Bible that support it. So, you know, maybe you'll listen to this thing and think they've totally misunderstood what Calvinism is. And if, if that's the case, please do, you know, let us know in, in the listener group because we would love to hear your, your thoughts and your experience on this. But for, I guess from where we're standing on the outside, from people who haven't, you know, been taught that sort of theology, it's very hard for us to, to understand and to, you know, hold, hold against our knowledge of a, a loving God. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I was having a, I had a little look, sneak a look at one of my essays I'd written before. I didn't remember it, but I have read in it that in terms of whether you're a Calvinist or not. So whether so if we don't believe in predestination, it comes from the Arminian idea, really. And it basically says that for Arminians and Calvinists, we must both believe that something is more important than eternal salvation, because for Calvinists, that's God's glory. And for Arminians, it's humanity's free will. So we think it's down to humans to decide about salvation. Yeah. Whilst Calvinists, that's not a word, Calvinists, <laughs> think that it's God's, God's glory is more important than um, eternal salvation for everyone. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not having it. <laughs> I'm like so passionately against this. I can't, I can't even comprehend. Like, I just... Uh, it's uh, God, uh, God's glory is important, but when he, when he's his is the creation, why he would set up? That's just like egotistical, isn't it? Just to set up a feed for that. That's not love. That's just that's like um, totalitarianism, really. I have so many follow up questions regarding universalism, free will, and all of that, but I'm not sure this is the right time. We certainly don't have time for it. <laughs> Most of my questions are just about the CU house party. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the seaside. That was exciting. Did they advertise it as Calvinism and coolers or like <laughs> that sort of thing? Or was it just sprung on you when you got in there? Calvinism and coolers. I can't even remember. <laughs> a very thick book, though. A very thick book. It's just on my bookshelf and it's sat there for the past nice. 10, 12 so mark 11 23 to 24 says truly i tell you if anyone says to this mountain go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen it will be done for them therefore i tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours so initially on just reading it like that, we think it's wonderful because we can just pray if we want and God will give it to us. But then we realize that's not how things work. And I think it's, it's challenging because there's so many questions and so many, so many things we don't understand about unanswered prayer. And it kind of gives the idea that as long as you can summon up enough belief, as long as you can get that much idea that it's going to happen and that as much faith that whatever you ask for is going to happen, that it'll happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's because you've not got enough belief, which presents many challenges. And yet we're also told that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. <laughs> so Clearly they like moving mountains. Yeah, they do. It's a headache, isn't it? It's a headache because, I mean, if I heard, it, if I, if I heard a preacher say that, 
without you know without quoting the bible just as you know they were just presenting their idea and that was their idea i'd say no that's not how it works but i think then it comes out of the bible you think well is there an additional weight to this that i'm missing is there something that i don't get here um but again it kind of as you say claire it puts the emphasis on the believer like if you if it doesn't happen then you know it's your own fault kind of thing so hard luck whereas that can be really really problematic for people um because then you're left wondering if well if i haven't got enough faith for god to answer these small prayers in my life then how am i ever gonna move a mountain or answer the big stuff so what's the point in prayer that would be the the thought process i think so I don't know. I've got. I've absolutely nothing. I'll be honest. I've nothing. It's interesting because then I was looking at um, in Matthew twenty six thirty nine, which is Jesus praying, and Jesus prays, "My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me." And obviously, the cup wasn't taken from him. So, was it not possible, or maybe he didn't believe enough? <laughs> maybe Jesus believed enough in himself. <laughs> I think that's yeah. That's obviously yeah, not so that yeah. It's, there's an obvious. It can, both can't be true, can they? It, it can't be both unless there's a nuance that everyone's missed. Please tell us in a listening group if there's a nuance that everyone's missed. <laughs> having read, sorry, go on, Paul. I was just going to say, having read the verses just before it. It doesn't seem particularly in context of what's going on. Um, they're talking just before about the the fig tree. Um, that, I mean, that's a different one in itself. Talking about why Jesus cursed a fig tree just because it didn't have any fruit on it. But I'm not going to go into that um, that question right now. Um, but the the it kind of it kind of just switches, and there's a little gap in the way that it's phrased on on the version that I'm reading from 20 and 21 and then 22 um, as though there is something that just isn't quite written down. Um, and it is, it seems re- a really weird place to, to kind of, it's like, it's almost been thrown in at the end of a different story. Unless there is like a really obvious context that I'm missing. But Cause it's interesting. Cause it then goes on to, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So we go back to this question a few episodes ago. Do we have to forgive others for God to forgive us? Let's go one at a time, Claire. I'm going to do that, but I thought, put it So there's kind of some things in the Bible require us to do X, Y, and Z, seemingly, mm-hmm. and other mm-hmm. things, it's a free for all. Mm-hmm. the thing that i was thinking before we did this podcast was just about how many contradictions there are in the bible and that you know i don't know whether we even went into that when we spoke about um like our bible episode but one of the things that i think has helped me stay really balanced in faith has been the contradictions and wrestling with different passages that don't align neatly with each other because god is all encompassing he is a 360 god who is you know who of course we know is completely beyond all sort of human 
human comprehension and I think that that I find that helpful when I compare a verse like asking a mountain to throw itself into the sea with examples of where you know he like children in the bible have, have died and you know where tragedies happened um all of a sudden and when you hold those two things there's a tension there but I think it is that tension for me that allows me to grapple with faith um and think and think to myself well I do believe that God can do almighty and all powerful things which I think is the root behind that passage is that God can do things that we couldn't imagine but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's always going to do it for us and I think it's the tension of those two things held in moderation that give us a grounded faith because we're it means we're searching doesn't it it means we're searching to go deeper and when we're when we're questioning at when we're asking these questions the spirit is actually drawing us into deeper relationship i think yeah i guess it just leads us back to what do we view the Bible as and what do we view its function as? Because like in the Bible episode, we, we talked about basic instruction before leaving earth, that horrible kind of acronym for, for the Bible. If, that, if that's what you view the Bible to be, when you read verses like that, you're going to feel that it's all instructional. You're going to feel that we are followers of a lift, list of kind of legislation that is laid out by God in a book written you know, to give us that thing. And I don't believe that's what the Bible is. I uh, I guess fundamentally, I, I believe that the Bible is a, a collection of letters, poems, songs, uh, stories and history books that document God's people searching and chasing after him and and document God chasing after his people as well. And and it's just lots of different people sharing their experiences of God and where God has touched their lives. And throughout all of that it's God inspiring those people to write that to write all that down and to to share those stories. That that does mean we're gonna come across bits that we can't figure out and we can't um like apply directly into our lives. But yeah, that gives me some hope that it isn't just a book written by God that we can take word for word, point by point. Otherwise, there'd be mountains falling into the sea all over the place. <laughs> and Madness. <laughs> I do really want to try, though. I'm going to go find a mountain. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. That's all we've got time for today. And we are all leaving scratching our heads with lots more to think about and lots more questions than we arrived with, I imagine. So uh, I hope that you are you are okay after this episode. <laughs> I hope that um, this has kind of given you some stuff to think about, but also drawn you closer to God and drawn you closer to Christ, because actually that's that's what we're hoping to do. And that's what um we, we hope this podcast does for you if you um have any expertise any experience or thoughts or even just some you know completely out there opinions that have just come to you that you'd like to share please do that we'd love to hear them in the listener group on facebook uh we'd love to carry on this conversation and learn from you all in that space as well um yeah so until next time be well Yeah. <laughs>